Hey everyone, this is Ksenia Montan and welcome to another episode of People of Marketing podcast. I'm the founder and CEO of Planable, the collaboration tool for social media teams, and I launched this podcast to take a sneak peek into the lives of marketers that inspire me. Every week, we explore the story of their careers, the choices, mistakes, wins, and imperfections of their work life. My guest today is Itai Rahat, Associate VP Product, Consumer Marketing at Warner Music. Uh, he has designed and launched campaigns for several well-known artists, such as Bruno Mars, Ed Sheeran, Dua Lipa, and Cardi B. I am super, super excited to have him on the show uh, and ask him a bunch of questions about his life and his career. Uh, Itai, thank you so much for joining me today on People of Marketing podcast. Hello and good day. <laughs> good. So Itai, let's walk a bit to your career, go backwards, try and connect the dots and, you know, see how you got where you are today. I know that you studied at Berkeley College of Music and you were, you know, in this industry for some time. How did you transition to marketing? What got you into marketing in the first place? Yeah, so uh, I was actually uh, studying music uh, in Tel Aviv. Uh, before I even uh, got to Boston and uh, Berkeley College of Music. Um, okay. And I was composing and writing music, uh, working with artists. Uh, but I always had this, this affinity to the music business, and I wanted to, to connect the two. Uh, while I was doing music, I had my own uh, internet advertising company, which I okay. started uh, inspired by a Google AdWords course I had uh, back in the day. And I started doing that in parallel. Uh, we then formed uh, a group that was performing live in a bunch of events, and I was the general manager and head of marketing there, and I tried to figure out how do we actually get the word out to get clients. So I started building the websites and getting clients and understanding, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a method to this in terms of how you get constant traffic, constant leads, and people that are wanting your product. Uh, and I did that while, while studying music, and I just started falling in love with um, technology more and more. I started building websites, doing SEO. Uh, working for other clients, doing uh, affiliate marketing. And I, I understand it's a part of me that I, I enjoy doing. Uh, when I was at Berkeley, I started consulting with artists and with the school itself on potential marketing strategies and marketing technologies that are, were relevant at the time uh, for digital marketing. Uh, and over time, I just moved from being a full-time musician and producer to doing more and more technology and digital marketing and understanding that I, I have this passion for for data and automation and integrations and, and uh, doing and launching campaigns where uh, consumers, or in my case, fans, uh, react and engage with. So, so I, you know, after I, I realized that I'm making this move from being a musician to, uh, to being a, a marker or marketing technologist, and I moved to New York, I started working at a company that, uh, well, I did a bunch of internships. I was working at a PR company and I was managing an artist and I worked at this direct-to-consumer company that was doing VIP packages for uh, concerts and pre-sales and fan clubs. And they needed, uh, they didn't have a marketing team yet. It was, a, it was a pretty much a, a startup. And um, I was, you know, I was working with all the departments there, uh, trying to make the marketing initiatives more effective and, and relevant. And then they said, hey, like, why don't you come help run this new department? And so we... Uh, we built a department that was focusing on uh, an analysis and analytics of how we're doing, uh, focusing on marketing uh, rollout, rollout of the marketing plans, uh, as well as product management in terms of making our uh, products that were actually convert fans were actually converting on uh, better and more optimized. 
Uh, and that grew our sales quite a bit in that year. Uh, Warner has acquired that company uh, just a bit before that. And um, Warner was building a, an internal division that was meant to service the artists that they sign with these digital services, whether it's websites, commerce, uh, email marketing, mobile marketing. I mean, at the time it was much smaller and it grew. Uh, and now we're a full digital agency uh, doing data, APIs, uh, commerce, analytics, customer service, merchandising, uh, still do the VIP and pre-sales, but also all the audience and the digital properties. Right. I'm curious what, what came first for you, your love for music or your love for marketing? <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was love for music for sure. Okay. Uh, you know, but as I started building businesses like that uh, out of music, I, I had a photo studio in New York as well. I had that band for events. I was working and consulting with artists in, in the music school and I realized this is something I like and I started spending more time on it and my energy was, I felt it better spent when I was doing that. I had more energy. Uh, mm -hmm. I loved writing music. Uh, to be honest, I was, I was a really good pianist, uh, an okay, uh, a pretty good composer, <laughs> an okay producer and not such a good lyric writer, you know, and, and that's why collaborations are important, but that's a different right. world. That's a different conversation. Um, but, you know, I started understanding that I, my energy is better when I do all these other things and when I dive into technology and digital and I uh, just spent days and nights and weekends on that. And then I realized, hey, this is something that I could actually excel at uh, and do more. I have more energy as I do it. And I uh, was uh, excited about helping people achieve their goals through, through doing that. And, you know, I, ju I just saw it to work as mm -hmm. you implement more things and you see it work. And yeah, so it just uh, kind of naturally uh, evolved into that. Do you remember what was your first like interaction with marketing and music? Like the first thing you saw that you were like, huh, this is really cool. I yeah. might, might want to be doing that in the future. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I definitely, when, when I was marketing my band for events uh, and I was running a bunch of AdWords campaigns and yeah. I was realizing, huh, we're actually getting calls from this. We're actually getting clients and work. This actually works. And then I realized there's a lot more you could do and how to work on implementing it so that it's optimized in a way that it's so you don't lose. Cause it's cause this is just like, there's methods to do things, right? But then you have to actually do them well if you want to long-term be sustainable. So then it's all about really digging in and understanding how, how can you make this sustainable long, long-term. One of the big things I realized was I enjoy that process more than I did in the process of writing music. I loved mm -hmm. the music when it was ready and I, and I created it. But the process of working on it was tough for me. And you really have to enjoy the process because that's most of the time. And with marketing, there's, there's setting up things to optimization. There's seeing the, seeing the work, doing more of that. Um, and yeah, so I really, that was, I think, the most pivotal moment for me um, when I was marketing my own business. Uh, but certainly when I started working in New York, um, a direct-to-consumer company, and, and I saw that there are things they were already doing, a real company, a real business, but I came in and actually made it more effective yeah. and had positive ROI. So I was like, oh, this is a business that's already working, doing well, yet I have value still <laughs> coming in and being able to make it better. And that's for me, it was like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like there's, it's a real thing. So yeah. Do you think in this, do you think in this entertainment, you know, and music industry, it, you have an edge because you studied music? Do you think that's important for someone who works in your industry to have some knowledge or to have studied music? Yes. I have two answers for this question. Uh, one is, well, both of them are yes, but not mm -hmm. what you think. So one is absolutely, I mean, 
I learned, especially uh, the, mu the music industry, uh, the legal aspects, uh, finance aspects, uh, just the context, especially coming from Tel Aviv and right. into the US music industry, it's very different, uh, which was very fascinating for me. Um, in a, at Berkeley, there's a lot of activities like, you know, writing for a music business journal or like running like the, the business association club. Uh, and those are things that keeps you really up to date. So, you know, college and university, they're very academic. They don't adjust as fast, but then there's a lot of uh, um, activities outside of the curriculum that keep you really up to date with what's going on in the industry. So just being in that environment and being in those places really helped me um, knowing what I'm coming into, knowing the context and jumping into conversations faster, understanding how the business works. The second right. answer is that some courses, and I truly believe this, such as orchestration and arranging, which I, was, which I loved doing and I did a lot of, actually really helped shape my uh, thought and how I think. And today when I do data flows and I have to look at how things are gonna play out when we implement technologies and data goes from A to Z, it's actually, I, I think in the same way where, as I was thinking when I was building you know, a certain line of music into an orchestra or into a full arrangement for a band. And so I actually think that type of thinking and studying really uh, helped me think in a way that's useful for what I'm doing today in data solutions and technology. Well, that's such an interesting analogy. I have never thought about it this way, but I guess it, it totally makes sense. How do you feel, uh, you know, marketing in your industry is different from marketing in other industries? Have you, do you have some thoughts on that? Maybe, you know, from the point of view that are, are people in the industry, in the music and entertainment industry different? Are the workflows different? The tools, the tactics that you're using, um, how do you see it different from marketing and you know other industries yeah uh, it's it, well actually it's all of the above uh, all of the one all of the things you said um you know every industry has its clients and has its uh, consumers and they're different you know the context of how we're talking to fans and how they respond to things the concept of working with artists and marketing and brands uh that are relevant and are such high profile is is different than other brands um the concept of you know, the music industry has definitely changed a lot, especially technology-wise in the last 20 years. Um, it, it was challenging and rough for a long time. And it was a lot about figuring it out, still trying to pull through and put in the investment and time to figure out what does work and what does has the potential to grow, which we've done, at least uh, through my time at Warner Music in the past 10 years. And it was part of why I joined the company, building this direct-to-consumer data and uh, direct-to-consumer division and data-based marketing uh, infrastructure, database strategy, um, which we're still working on. There's a lot more potential there. Um, yeah. The revenue channels completely change of how the company makes money. Uh, there are a lot more of them now, and they're a lot more complicated. Uh, the capital in the industry was cut basically in half and then you know, started to drop, and then now is uh, kind of growing again. But there, so there are a lot of changes, and I think, Marketing, you know, uh, just like other divisions, definitely felt that in terms of where do you put the investment, how do you prioritize, um, how do you work to still reach your fans. I think the biggest change was trying to find a way of having a direct relationship with our consumers and fans uh, when we connect them to our artists and not just through uh, a retail store anymore. It's through a lot of other channels right now. 
I'm wondering, outside of the music industry, do you follow any other industries? Do you get inspiration in your day-to-day work? Or what, yeah. you know, what companies do you think are doing great marketing outside of the, the music and entertainment industry? Yeah, I mean, I'm following, I think, uh, maybe, maybe travel and transportation industry. Okay. Uh, which I like a lot of interesting things they do. I mean, there's, there's uh, that industry has uh, a, a huge amount of uh, data, a huge amount of, under, of trying to understand their consumer and integrations between their systems to make things very seamless, uh, which is extremely important. Uh, and people rely on uh, travel and transportation, uh, whether it's app or companies, um, to actually uh, fulfill what they're, you know, once they get to a destination, what they're trying to get to their destinations and get the right information and, and make sure that what they transact in one place actually registers in a different. So I'm always very fascinated by that. I think um, they're doing a lot of great things there. Uh, some companies I like what they do, you know, uh, I think Apple, Apple more uh, maybe as an overarching strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Hotels.com and Expedia, which I, I really like their experience, uh, the way they're doing marketing, the way they're connecting different dots so that I know that what I'm doing in one place, I can definitely rely on that uh, happening and be safe that my trip is you know, the best I could have found and is uh, locked in. Um, and within my industry is maybe Spotify. Um, you know, oh, yeah. They, yeah, you know, they're, they're doing great things both data-wise in terms of data science and business intelligence and understanding. They have huge amounts of data. If you think about all the streams, skips, playlist ads, saves, removes, all that stuff. Like, that's quite, quite... An uh, enormous, yeah. Things. Yeah, quite a lot of data. So understanding each consumer, what they like, how they like to hear the music, how long, when, and then tailoring context and message in the, via context tailoring the message for that so uh you know they're doing a lot of that through playlisting and a lot through other things i think that's really great one thing they're doing and the other aspect is their creative marketing is really nice you know their whether it's their billboards or their or their outbound marketing with uh cool creative and messaging and the way they're they're touching emotions so uh both those aspects are pretty good and I, I, what I enjoy a lot about Spotify as a user is the way they engage with you. I like, I really love their, you know, annual playlist that they're doing, the way yeah, they show you data example. about how you consume their product. And I think it's, it's, it's quite amazing, you know, how they use the data they have on you to further engage with you. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's really cool. To, yeah, they're trying to engage. You know, they're not, it's not, it doesn't have a direct call to action. Oh, do this, do yeah. this, do this. No, they're giving you value. Uh, they're they're showing you and exposing data they mm. have yeah. in an age of very sensitive privacy. You know, <laughs> a lot of but they're still doing it in a way that you say, "Oh, this is cool," and not yeah, that yeah, this yeah. like what the hell is, you know? Why do you have this information? Me, it's actually yeah. they're exposing it in a way that's that's positive and so non creepy, non creepy way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Well, going back uh, to your early on career. Um, I'm curious if you, if you had someone that you followed, like if you had someone you admired, um, kind of like a role model in the industry or in, in marketing that you're looking up towards, do, did you have anyone like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I definitely had a few uh, people that I worked with that I chose as these are people I want to learn from and listen to and, and see how they progress and what they do in different situations. Yeah. Uh, executives in my in the company uh, that I work uh, companies I worked at. Um, outside of that, you know, 
I follow and have followed uh, and try to learn from, well, I'll bet remotely, but still from, you know, people like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and Richard Branson. Um, When I started out, I mean, I I definitely like Richard Branson's outlook on life and business. It's it's not uh, usual, Um, but uh, it's very enlightening. what do you like about it the most? I mean, he has a different, quite a, a lot of philosophies on, on business and, and life. What's, what's the thing that yeah, you I mean, really resonate with? He wouldn't always say that what, what would be intuitive about marketing. Some people say, mm. well, that's actually not what I think. Or he, but he, he puts emphasis on listening to people yeah. and making sure you're serious about what you do and making sure you're having fun with what you do and going for things. Uh, and not being that as calculated, um, you know, and also recognizing when he had successes and when he had failures. And I think uh, that, that's really nice. And certainly he also did very, uh, you know, big initiatives. His initiatives were with a lot of investment. It wasn't small things or small tryouts. It's train companies and air, airplane, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. airlines, you know, that's not a small thing. Uh, so, yeah. But um, I think when I was starting out with my affiliate and advertising internet advertising company while i was starting music i was following a lot of uh, affiliate marketers that were hands-on doing a lot of things like all the webinars and the seo and pages and converting people via landing pages and i learned a lot from them they were doing actual marketing for their own businesses yeah Uh, i learned a lot about the tools i learned a lot about how to talk to people and talk to consumers i learned about how to to make things especially automate things and that was my real introduction to marketing automation which was my biggest passion in what I do now. So that actually takes me to to my next question. Tell us a bit more about what you do now. Tell us about, you know, take us through like a typical day in in your work life. What's the first thing you tackle when you get to the office? What does your day look like? Yeah. Um so we do you know at um what I do now is I oversee a team. What we've done is we've built a team, uh, a product team at Warner yes. that oversees uh, verticals in marketing technology. Um, it's data and APIs. It's email marketing and automation. It is web. Uh, it is advertising technology. It is social and mobile platforms. And each of these verticals have owners. Uh, those verticals have multiple platforms in them. They are mostly interconnected and yeah. it is a central marketing infrastructure that services all of Warner music uh, brands and artists. And so all the brand marketers uh, can use these technologies uh, when they're building their campaigns, when they're acquiring audiences uh, and when they want to uh, look at insights. Um, so what we're doing is we're building tools for acquisition, engagement and reporting of audiences. So, you know, when I go in, uh, it could be anything from working with our vendors, and, whether it's evaluating new solutions and vendors for a new technology of marketing automation or audiences. It could be figuring out how do we connect the dots between a few platforms. It could be a custom campaign for one of our artists that's really looking to do something cool and we need to figure out how do we do it with the technology we have or how do we build something for them. Uh, it's coaching and working with my team on how we do product management and how we run the, camp- the products day to day while also building new things and maintaining uh, our roadmap. Uh, it's supporting, making sure our teams around the world, we have over 1500 artists and brands. So how, do, uh, how they're all supported uh, with the platforms that um, we control. Um, yeah. So we're talking about both, you know, external um, 
external vendors, but also proprietary built, you know, in-house built products. Is that, did I understood you yeah. correctly? We, yeah, okay. we have in-house products that we're, that we're working on, uh, oh. like a data warehouse and integration and API sets. And, and that's useful because sometimes a lot of uh, external platforms, even though they're very robust, they have limitations. They weren't built for what you're doing. Yeah, for and, your specific uh, use case. Yeah, exactly. And what we try to do is really maximize them and under learn them well, so that we could ex you know extract the most value out of them. But sometimes there are some blockers, and by controlling your own infrastructure or part of it, you could bypass a lot of these limitations and build things that help you route data in or technology in different ways. Uh, and kind of and kind of like add it's add on our plugins or, or a different or a separate platform that you control could help you execute things that you had a blocker with in other platforms. That said, it comes with the responsibility of maintenance and yeah. uh, and and management and building and so it's not always the right, the right thing. There, there are more and more there's companies now that are becoming more flexible to allow you to bring them in and replace in-house technology. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's also an historical thing. A lot of big corporations uh, historically and, and still have, you know, uh, internal teams. and Legacy, and yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, legacy systems and in internal teams building some or all of their platforms. Part of it is a policy uh, based on security and things like that. And, and mm. part of it is just how it's been. Okay, so, you know, great. But, but our, our infrastructure is always refreshing. We're always thinking how we're going to build it. If we were good to build it today, we would have built it separate, differently than what we've built it five years ago or what <laughs> we've built over time because we know different things. We've, there's new technologies, there's different things and different goals and, and all that. But, I, you know, I think, I think yeah. that's the same with, with you know, every product out there. I think every technology company you know, would say that about their own product because <laughs> you, know, you, you learn so much in time that you realize that you know, if you'd be yeah. able to go back in time, you would just do it. Exactly. But the thing is, like, when you do it, you do the best thing you can. Yes, yes. At the moment, based on the information you have, right. based on as much, as long as you do your due diligence and you, you know, based on the information, resources, investment at the time, then that's what you could do. And then you work with it, you implemented it, it works, it ideally provides success. If it doesn't provide success, you, uh, you, you can cut it out. But uh, which, you know, that those, sometimes it's challenging, sometimes it's not. But, uh, but that's how you learn and you implement things and things are happening. And then you can grow from there and keep scaling it or not. And there are a few pivot points where you have to do big yeah. changes. Uh, but yeah, but for the most part, you can, you can keep adding and trying. And, you know, so in my, uh, in my day, I, you know, it, it could be everything from sprint planning to how do we adopt our products to success, uh, celebrate successes in our team members and things they're doing uh, to, uh, to planning strategy. Uh, a lot of prioritizing, prioritizing what we're doing today, which stakeholder we're talking, which project. Uh, what are the product features we're going to look at, um, you know, and looking at the different streams um, and yeah, the other things I've said before. <laughs> yeah. It was, planning our week, yeah, et cetera. Is there like one, one thing that you usually do in the morning, like checking your emails or is there like, do you have a routine for your morning on how to get started? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's boring. It's checking my emails. No, I mean, I think we're all trying to get better in that, you know, wake up earlier, have a quiet morning. My yeah. morning, since I'm West, I, I, I'm based in the West Coast, so my mornings typically are, are not so quiet since, you know, I work a lot with Europe and the East Coast. Mm, and so right. by the time I'm awake, everybody's already working. Things <laughs> are happening. So you kind of really jump right into it. But yeah. ideally, try to make some time in the morning to wake up normally and, and like breathe a little and think and then start things up uh, and start opening up your your messaging apps but 
I definitely prioritize in the morning too. So a quick scan, anything immediate that needs my immediate attention. And if not, everything could wait until, you know, I'm situated in the office after my, my morning meetings and can, can. Yeah. One problem that, you know, I see a lot of modern, you know, marketers, modern professionals actually, you know, struggling with is the number of meetings they have. <laughs> What's your thoughts on meetings and, you know, the kind of meetings killing creativity and meetings killing uh, deep work, deep focus. Do you have yeah. any thoughts on that, on that challenge? Yeah, I mean, when I work remotely or I work uh, and I have less meetings, uh, if I can get in the zone, that's definitely good. Uh, I, I do tend to get in the zone and try to solve things or work on a platform and system. I, I in the past, uh, still, but in the past, I was a lot hands-on. And if you're in the middle of trying to figure things out, it's very hard to stop and then go to a meeting and come back. You know, yeah. so I try to either let people know I may be a bit later or I won't show up. Uh, I try to definitely uh, not attend if I don't have to, if I, if I know that we're not going to get direct value of it. Some meetings are good. Some meetings, especially face-to-face -face meetings, could help yeah. um, progress some things, especially if you have action items after and if you do the follow-up. Uh, I think we have way more meetings and discussions than what we can follow up on, and that's part of the problem. Like we initiate a lot more conversations than we can actually uh, uh, follow up on and, and, and execute on, which is, which is a problem because then it becomes this vibe of, you know, I think in a lot of companies it becomes a vibe of, well, we're talking a lot of things, but it, nobody has time to follow up and actually execute them and then <laughs> you feel your accomplishment. So you got to focus on things you know you're actually moving forward at that time. If it's a project, and this is meetings internal and external, you know, we all get uh, um, uh, vendors talk to us all the time. Um, uh, trying to sell their business. Their business might be amazing, but it might be not a good fit for us right now, or maybe it is, but next quarter, or maybe it's not at all, or maybe we are interested. If I'm genuinely interested, I'll make time, but sometimes I know that I have my other priorities and there's no point opening it up, right? Yeah. And that's the same internally, right? If there's projects or, or, or meetings that just don't make sense now, at least from my perspective, I'll probably say, hey, can we do this some other time or not? Um, there are some times when I can have other team members join. You don't have to have duplicate functions or team members in, in the same meeting, for example, because right. the catch-up later could be easier. So maybe someone on my team's join, I'll, I'll catch them afterwards separate in more efficient manner. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's, but, but you also have to respect, like if people ask you to join something, is it important? Who are they? What are they looking to do? Is, is this- Yeah, that's uh, a good point, a, yeah. A part of an involved in, you know, you can't just say no to meetings. You have to- <laughs> You have to be present, you know, you have to be present, whether it's in the room or, or contributing with what, with the information or knowledge you have. So it's a, it's a balance. I'm curious if travel is a big part of your work. It's, it's not a huge part. Uh, I do travel. Uh, Outside yeah, of I, work I, or like, uh, like I, personally? I do, I do, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I travel also, obviously my home is in a different country. My original home is in a different yeah. country. So I, I end up traveling there um, and it's far from where I live now, but, uh, but I don't travel a lot, a few times a year to our mm -hmm. hubs, to our main hubs. Uh, and it's, and those are important. Those are my big busiest weeks usually yeah. between the people uh, that I need to meet uh, my team members, other uh, divisions I have to work with things on uh, vendors or partners in the, in the area where I'm there. Um, and also doing some, you know, team bonding and fun, which is also important, especially when you work remotely and fragmented. Uh, you know, those are busy weeks, but they're really uh, 
usually very productive and fun. And the key is to follow up on them afterwards, understand what came out of it. And is there things we need to keep doing so that it, it wasn't just a trip and it was actually, um, actually progressed your agenda and things you were trying to, ex- to achieve? What's your, what's your favorite place to travel for work? I know you said you, you, tra- you do travel in a few hubs and then uh, on, on your own, but I'm curious specifically my for main, work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my main work travel is big music hubs and our hubs, which is New York, London, uh, Nashville, uh, Paris. Um, I was um, in uh, Australia um, yeah. with our team in Australia, which was, uh, that was probably my favorite, but, <laughs> but I was, uh, you know, that was pretty nice. Uh, you know, I, knew, I haven't been there yet, and the team there is great, and we're working a lot of a lot of great things together. Yeah. Um, so I like that, and I always like coming back to New York. The thing is, I live in uh, Los Angeles, but I have lived in New York for seven years prior to that. Mm, so for right. me, going back to New York is always nostalgic. It's always nice. It's always home. Yeah. Um, and meeting the people in, and and people in the office that I actually work with in that office. So that's that's that would have to be my favorite. But yeah. Got it. Good. So something else that I like to talk about is, you know, in professional world, we talk a lot about the, the good stuff, um, about the wins. And I, I like to talk about the bad and the ugly as well. Um, so I'm wondering if you, what would you consider, you know, like the lowest point in your career? Did you, I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're all going through ro- roller coasters. So I'm curious, what do you consider your lowest point? And, you know, did you ever like, doubt your your skills or like your chances to make it in this industry well yeah it's a good question i don't think i ever thought about it like that i mean look you always think about okay well how can i achieve my projects i'm very passionate about uh, if i start something i want to finish it and i want to make sure i want to see it in action yeah um I, you know i think before this career when i was a musician that th- those thoughts are pretty they're very dominant i think in a lot of artists minds you know am i good enough what are, are people going to like it what am i going to do how i'm going to progress my career all that things and and like i said uh i was a musician dedicated musician i was a really good pianist a pretty good composer an okay producer not so good lyric writer you know so it makes you think <laughs> but i i did realize that i love tech more and more and digital and that made me energized so that's when i started making that shift i was like oh I could make it here because I saw things starting to work. And, and so that made me doubt less. But yeah. um, there's a lot of things to work on. You know, you, you got you to gotta celebrate your small successes and projects and you got to build over time. Um, I think there were times where I really wanted to execute something, but I realized, oh, we can't get the resource or investment or we can't convince the right buy-in from our stakeholders to uh, the right stakeholders to get buy-in um, to execute this. Uh, you know, we're, we're missing what we're trying to do long term. There's, there's been times where you think that, but then the keys, I think, for me was to understand that, okay, um, well, is there a different way we can make it happen or, or do we just move on to the next thing, um, you know, and, and try to see how you, how you make it better? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's always you, always, you can always learn more and know more and get more experience, whether it's on this professionalism of what you do or whether it's like um, relationships building or working within companies, you know, whether you work in a startup or a or large corporation, you, there's, there's etiquette, there's ways to do things, there's ways to get things done in the, for, with, in the context of each company. So uh, these things you have to learn. And, yes. uh, and in addition to your actual hands-on wor- work and job, you have to do all these things if you want to build, you know, 
great new things. <laughs> yeah, I want and to trust. That I'm, all, I'm still learning. That is by no means anything I've nothing I've yet figured out. It's ongoing. Yeah, there's there's always space for better for everyone. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you next: What habit or skill did you struggle, you know, the most to develop? And if you have mm. any current ones that you're like still, you know, trying to to improve yeah. on the same topic of getting always, you know, always getting better and trying trying harder. Yeah. Outside of not looking at my phone first thing in the morning, last thing at <laughs> night, uh, there's a. <laughs> Look, there's always, uh, for me in my world, uh, knowing more tech and coding or understanding tech stats okay. um, and the, the new technologies are coming out is always something I need to learn more and know more. I'm not a coder or developer when I started, right? Um, yeah. but it, Did uh, you it learn is, a bit of coding in the meanwhile? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, did, I've done that a bit and I've learned it, but, and I understand technology and integrations quite well, but certainly not at the, at the developer level where which is okay. That's yep. why you build teams with the right skills right. to execute. What I do is translate the, the information and the language that they're working on and transfer, translate our requirements and our business goals into tangible results. How do we can work with developer teams and, and engineering teams to make it happen um, or, our, or our technology partners? Uh, but there's always more technology skills to learn. Uh, other than that, I'd say communication strategy, hugely mm. important. Uh, you to navigate your way uh, in the in the professional world. Um, like I said, it's not just about doing your job. You also need to understand communication strategy to talk to the right people, to celebrate the right successes, to bring up the right challenges. Um, and that's something I, I I realize at a certain point in my career, I really need to put time in and a certain time of my day every day uh, in order uh, to really achieve my my goals at work. Um, the other things is maybe. Um, listening more, you know, yeah. there's, there's so much information and people um, have a lot to say and, and it's important to listen to them. Uh, you know, sometimes you come in as, oh, you're the solutions person. So you know how to do this, or they're bringing you in to, to talk about the stuff and, and, and people do want to hear what you have to say, but it's also really important to listen to what other people have to say. And I, I'm definitely trying to get better in that. Um, I think that's an important skill. Uh, and then don't assume anything. So it's kind of like the same Oh, I love thing. this one. Yeah. I love, wanna, I love this with assumption. It's, it, yeah. yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> it's, uh, if you jump to assumptions, it's very easy. You think you know it, you think you've done it, you think you've seen it. And sometimes you're right. But yeah. there's oftentimes we're like, you're completely off. Uh, or like, or people have something to say and you, you don't necessarily know what it will be or you don't know what, what's the right solution. So I think practicing a bit less assumptions and a bit more listening um, is, is good and it's something I'm trying to improve. And this is, this is great. So my last question before we uh, wrap it up with our rapid fire uh, question session um, is like, what's one belief or you know, buzzword trending today in, in, in marketing that's like really annoying you or do you disagree with? Do you have something like that? I don't love when people, when I see these reports that say 80% of marketers are da, 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 da. you know, I don't love that. <laughs> you don't um, love, uh, you don't love labeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I think, I think it, it could make the case in front of other executives, but the marketers know a lot of this on their own. So they're not getting a lot of that. But um, I think uh, a lot of buzzwords, oh, we're bringing all your data to put into one place and we're seamlessly integrating with all your systems. I mean, I've done this a lot and I have never seen something that seamlessly integrates. With, you know, it's just, so, you know, it's just, um, we like to keep it real and, and yeah. have uh, and see uh, information that 
really speaks to the real challenges and under and and not trying to uh make things sh show things as if they're like uh more perfect easy than they yeah. are or more perfect than they are and so because we're really sizing up a lot of the you know when we're sizing up effort priority investment we need to know the real truth yeah. not a buzzword that potentially could could get someone to say oh yeah let's just do it because then then the real work starts and, and it's a recipe for failure so you know th maybe those those things but yeah good perfect well um we'll move to our rapid fire question session so a few questions you know one two two words for for answers um and i'll start with the first one so if you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today what else uh would you do well uh and if I wasn't a musician, yes. yeah, at a certain point, I definitely, I was thinking I'll, I'll be write, like writing music for commercials and things like that. Um, but I think it was, I, I would probably uh, maybe be an arts manager or, mm. uh, or an architect. Oh, architect. Uh, was, that's, that's yeah. different. That's different. I was designing. I was, I was building little houses when I was a kid. I was designing oh, wow. things, <laughs> like building these little models. And I was sure I'll be an architect. Uh, and yeah. then I, um, things changed. And then I ended up, yeah, being an artist of some other kind, but yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your favorite app or tool you use at work? Um, well, at work or in life? I, I mean, I, <laughs> I actually, uh, old school, I use a lot of my, uh, my iPhone notes. I use a lot of my, um, my unread emails and my calendar. I set my, my own meetings with myself <laughs> for things yeah. that I want to do and achieve. Yeah, um, for like tasks, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and it works right well for me. I, I like organizing this. It helps me prioritize. You know, I use, uh, I use Trello also for mm. personal and work. I work, we also use Jira. So I think, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few cool apps, but, um, but yeah, I, I do. I like the, the Outlook. <laughs> <Stuff>. <laughs> Perfect, good. Worst advice you've ever received? Huh. <laughs> well, I'd say any... And, you know, when I was young, uh, we would always go out to, uh, to dance. I, I didn't know if it's something I would, I'd like to do. It was late. It was clubs. And then I had a friend who said, well, uh, what are you going to do there? We're just going out. It's late. It's noisy. It's loud. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And I haven't done it. And, and, and one time I tried it. This was when we were really young. And, and I was like, oh, I love this. I love moving <laughs> and dancing and music and people. Yeah. This is my thing. And so I discovered something about myself. So I guess what I'm saying is don't, you know, when you feel you want to try something, don't stop. Don't listen to other people telling you to do it or not because they don't, they're not you. Uh, and yeah. that person is very different from me, you know, but yeah. I didn't know that at the time, even though he was a good friend. Um, any advice that makes you hold back on something, if it's something you really want, then that's probably not a good advice. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've done that plenty. I've done that plenty listening um, to other people. Some, some are good advice, some are not. Um, uh, you know, probably the worst advice, uh, the, the worst advice, I hope I didn't end up taking it or I try not to remember it. So, <laughs> yeah. But. <laughs> Good. And my last question is, um, I was asking it as, you know, favorite social media network, but then someone else suggested me to ask it as most addictive social media network because ah. you might not actually like it, but you are addicted to it. <laughs> so, yeah. which, which is yours? I mean, probably... Instagram or LinkedIn? Instagram or LinkedIn. Those are very different ones. <laughs> yeah, it's for different reasons. Yeah. For different reasons. Yeah. Uh, for different reasons, but, but yeah. 
Good. Perfect. Well, Itai, this, this was a really great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for, for doing this. And where, you know, where can people learn more about you and potentially reach out to that? Would that be on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is good. LinkedIn is good. Great. Well, um, thank you so much for taking the time to like, share your story. I really enjoyed chatting with you and I think this is going to be a great episode. And to everyone listening, uh, thanks for joining in and till next time. Thank you.